Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Family with Family, a mindful discussion of wholesome fare. My name is Jackson Harper, and joining me as always for this discussion is my mother, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. Greetings and salutations. How are you today? I'm good. I played bridge today. You want to ask of me? Of course. Hey, man. Uh, Third from the, the, the bottom. bottom. Oh, Third okay. from the bottom. I didn't get any cards today. Oh, my goodness. Uh, last, week I was, last week I was second, but okay. I fell, fell, <laughs> fell today. Well, you know what? We have a guest tonight. We are doing family with family with family. <laughs> <laughs> So tonight, our guest is my youngest brother, Peter Eric Harper. Hello. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> We're good. All right. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You seem like you don't really want to be here. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm, re- I'm ready to get in a deep dive into one of my favorite musicals. Okay, well, Mom, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're talking about tonight? Tonight, we are discussing Newsies, the 1992, mm-hmm. made when you were, what, nine years, eight? eight I was nine. Nine years yeah. old, and it, um, Eric was like four. Well, probably three still. Musical comedy slash drama by Disney that tells the story of the Newsboys strike of 1899 and it's very loosely based though some of the subject matter is very serious it is a really light-hearted musical mm-hmm. songs by Alan Menken and Jack Feldman mm-hmm. wonderful songs mm-hmm. all right well Eric you're our guest so I want to pitch to you 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 very specifically I don't even know if you had the list of the movies we were doing. No, I didn't. And you just said, I want to talk about Newsies. And we were already planning to talk about Newsies. <laughs> so please tell us the story of why you love Newsies so much. Well, I'll tell you. So my, my first favorite musical was West Side Story. Okay. Sure. And that was... And that was my first favorite musical that, that mm-hmm. I, I was growing up with. Newsies resonated more with me because it's about kids, especially mm-hmm. particularly boys, boys. And I was a young boy and they were smoking cigarettes and drinking and all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> and, and they were living in the streets of New York and they were taking on the big fat newspaper people. And I said, yeah, I want to smoke cigarettes, drink, and take on big newspaper people. And I thought that's what I wanted to be then. Not not when I grew up, but now. When I was a child. Um, So I probably watch Newsies like once a week for like my life. And, And that was my favorite musical. I think mom has something she wants to add. All right. So the history behind this is we didn't see it in 1992. It was 1995. We went to New Jersey to visit relatives and my sweet little aunt handed them a VHS tape to watch. And I was taped off of off of the Disney channel. I know. It wasn't even like bought. She taped it off the Disney (laughs) channel. Sit at home with us, silly me, dumb me. I didn't even watch it. I thought, 
oh, it's got to be okay. And Alice gave it to him to watch. I didn't know there was smoking in it. Oh, well, I mean, not that much. I mean, I guess, yeah, there's actually a lot of smoking in it. But But, um, you think about the time it takes place in, that's... I know. um, That's what street kids did back then. I'm not sure. That's what they do now. I'm not sure I would have let well, Harry watch it, who is six years younger than you. He was only six years old at that time in 1994. I would have been mad if you hadn't let me watch it. I mean, <laughs> anyway, y'all wore out that uh, VHS tape. Yeah, it's really funny. I remember very specifically watching that in Aunt Alice's house, and then I watched it again, and then I watched it again, and then we had like a little TV with a VCR attached to it that we kept in the car. This is back before cars came with like TVs built into them. We just had like this little console and we watched it all the way home from New Jersey. Very accurate. We couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you, it was, it's, it's a, it's a film that's different too. It's, it's, um, you know, that uh, one of the composers that wrote a lot of the songs, a lot of, a lot of the other musicals, like uh, they did Beauty and the Beast, Little mm-hmm. Yeah, Alan May. Like, yeah. Uh, also, wrote, The Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. 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 And yeah. I'm telling you, he writes amazing music. Um, but the 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 director, he hasn't done, uh, he's done a bunch of stuff. Just, I think Newsies was the pinnacle of his career. Like, yeah. I know that he did some some episodes for, for uh, why can't I think, uh, Gilmore Girls and, and some other stuff. But sure. Like, I've seen his name a lot. Yeah. But, but I'm telling you, like, that was, like, the pinnacle of his career, and I like this style, because the choreography, if you actually, like, if you take, like, West Side Story or, or Carousel or whatever, uh, all those musical numbers back then were very choreographed and very neat. Newsy mm-hmm. is less neat, but, mm-hmm. but you can tell that they went into depth, because the choreography, you can watch, like, the, the front guys in the choreography but if you watch the back what's happening behind them it also tells like the story um a mm-hmm. little bit more and i and yeah. i appreciate the level of detail that they went because they didn't make it so neat where it's not believable that it's children okay yeah but but it it, it launches the story more than just yeah. having dancing each character dances a little differently mm-hmm. which gets us into our next segment which is called Character Counts, wherein mom lists off the characters like we're reading the playbill, which is appropriate for this movie because it's actually been made into a Broadway play at this point. I still haven't seen that, but. I watched a little bit of it. I wasn't impressed, but anyway. Well, All right, so main character, Jack, slash mm-hmm. Cowboy Kelly. Um, slash Francis Sullivan. Francis Sullivan, mm-hmm. played by Christian Bale when he was 18 years old. Yeah, David Jacob, played by David Moscow. Brian mm-hmm. Denton, played by Bill Pullman. Yeah. Jo- Joseph Pulitzer, played by Robert Duvall. Meta Larson, played by Anne Margaret. Racetrack Higgins, Max Casella. Racetra- He's from Doogie. Is he from what? From Doogie Hauser. Doogie yeah. Hauser. Crutchy, I don't even, I didn't write down who Crutchy was. I love Crutchy. Spot- I've never seen him in anything else. <laughs> Spot yeah. Conlon, mm. really the tough guy. And then <laughs> Les Jacobs, who's the little brother of David, and I didn't notice his name. 
His and, name is Luke Edwards, and he was in the movie Little Big League. He was the lead of oh, that movie. Oh, really? Where the kid becomes the manager of the Minnesota Twins? Yeah. That's him. I'll have to watch that again. Mush. I think his name is Luke Edwards, yeah. Mush. I had to ask Jackson who Mush was in the movie. I couldn't figure out who yeah, Mush was. Yeah, from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, but I didn't, I don't remember <laughs> that. But what was so interesting about it is his, his name is Aaron Lore. Oh no, the dog's barking. Uh-oh. Aaron Lore. Uh, <laughs> and he is married to Adina Menzel. Yeah. And Weasel. From last episode. I, I mean, Weasel. Michael Lerner. <laughs> and Snyder, Kevin Ty. I didn't write down all the rest of the characters because there's, yeah. there's hundreds of them. Well, I, I want to add... Um, Mr. Jacobs to this because oh, yeah, he's played Mr. by Jeffrey DeMunn, who's from The Walking Dead and The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption and many, many other credits. So he's notable. Very good. So who's your favorite character? Uh, well, mine is Crutchy. All right. Okay. Um, uh, just because, like, the way he looks up to Jack, like, he almost sees Jack as, like, the pinnacle pinnacle person like the top i don't know he just looks up at jack so much like he puts him on this big pedestal and jack i think through the whole 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 movie is trying to be the person that crutchy wants him to be hmm. because a lot of the time like he looks over out for crutchy more than anyone else in the film and and i think he like i don't know i like crutchy i like crutchy and i like his relationship with jack what is going on with this dog right now? I don't know, but do you want me to pause <laughs> and get the dog to shut up? It's okay. We'll pretend it's uh, New York City street sound. All right, whatever. Hopefully he'll stop soon. Would you like to know who my favorite character is? Yes. Who is your favorite? You want to guess? Oh, is it Jack Kelly? No. <laughs> is it David? Yes. Okay, it's David. I love David. Because you like the type A's. Well... I just like it because he's he is just a thoughtful young man and he's loyal. He's cautious. He's hardworking. I really like David and he's smart. Yeah. All right. We need to get the dog stopped now. (laughs) We can't have it go through the whole episode. I know. Okay, so let's pause. All right. We are back after shutting up the dog who's probably barking at the cows or something. So, <laughs> so Eric kind of stole my favorite character because I also really love Crutchy. Not necessarily for the same reason. I just love Crutchy because I love a character who's joyful despite everything. And you know, he's he's kind of the he's kind of the lowliest of the low. These are all a bunch of poor kids who live in a boarding house and they sell newspapers for a penny a pape. But he's also got the added burden of the fact that he doesn't walk very well. He has to use a crutch. That's his nickname. But uh, I also just love not only the fact that he's the most sort of overtly joyful character. I love the fact that all the other characters are very protective of him. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think I think everyone can learn a lesson from. So I will go with... I will as usual, go with the silly one. My favorite is like the little tweety assistant to Mr. Pulitzer that has the little mustache. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have, I have several proposals. 
<laughs> we didn't even mention him in the characters. Yeah. Well, no, he's not. But anybody who's seen this movie knows exactly who I'm talking about. It's like, that's the newsy, sir. I'll go and have them quieted. And then he starts to kind of sneak away. <laughs> he's, he's just, he's, uh, he's so funny. I <laughs> just love that probably, actor. He's probably one of the most important <laughs> characters in the movie. Yeah, he comes up, Last he starts time. the whole plot in motion. Okay, <laughs> well, is there any other characters we want to talk about? Oh, man. What... What's the Dewey Hauser's? Uh, what was his name? It's it's uh, racetrack. Oh, racetrack. Racetrack. Yeah, because he's always going and betting at the racetrack. Well, racetrack is definitely like definitely an honorable mention uh, because he's not the head, but he's like he's kind of a, the backbone. Okay, I don't think. Yeah. He, he supports Jack so much. Mm-hmm. I don't think really Jack would have gotten him through because he's just racetrack is so loud does that make sense yeah, yeah he's, he's very loud. he's very vocal and that's just the kind of characters max casella plays he if you look at him in his uh his latter day career he's sort of turning into dennis farina which is a reference that maybe not everybody gets i think eric gets it <laughs> he's sort that's of turning into dennis farina that is very accurate <laughs> very accurate but but no but i am telling you those those characters like really run that movie though. Uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of have to talk about some of the, the adult cast in this movie because you have some really acclaimed actors. I mean, you have Bill Pullman playing Brian Denton and this is before Bill Pullman really hit because he wouldn't really hit until a couple years later with while you were sleeping. Yeah. Oh, okay. Where he played the romantic lead in that opposite Sandra Bullock. And then, of course, a couple of years after that, he had Independence Day, where he gave one yes. of the greatest speeches. The best speech ever. <laughs> of all time on screen. You have Anne Margaret playing a very small role. Of course, she's a legend from like the previous generation. You know, she was big and like as a teenager in the 60s and stuff. Mm-hmm. Bye bye, Birdie and stuff like that. And then, of course, Robert Duvall. Oh, fabulous. Of all people. From The Godfather and Apocalypse Now and many legendary films from like the 70s shows up as the villain, like a very sort of mustache twirling villain in this movie. And he's great. I think he's going way over the top, but I think that's kind of what this movie requires because it's a big, splashy Disney musical. And I don't know what the real Joseph Pulitzer was like. I can't imagine he was like this, but maybe he was. Who knows? I don't know, but I i mean, I was hoping all through the movie he wasn't really like that. <laughs> I mean, the, I moment, mean the, the moment that he's like talking about the money and he started. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> like, and, and you're like, yes. A week. He, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yes, Robert Duvall, keep going. Yes, it's great. <laughs> Add those numbers in your head. <laughs> And, and if we do it, first and I, and the other papers will do it. And he does like a dance. It's very strange. I, I honestly think it might be, I think this performance might be a little anti-Semitic. <laughs> I mean, just based on the voice he's doing and his mannerisms and stuff like that, I think it might be a little bit anti-Semitic. Oh, we're not going to judge them. We're not going to judge the movie for it because I don't know. 
none of us are Jewish here. That's that's for the Jewish we are people to not determine. Either. No, no, of course not. No, but I think this performance might be just a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, the movie is what it is, and we're here to just talk about what it is. So let's get into our next segment, which is called Scene Selections, uh, wherein we we usually, when we have a guest, we only pick two scenes, but because this movie has such deep-rooted history in our family, <laughs> particularly between me and Eric, uh, we're going to pick three scenes each. Uh, and I'm going to break Pulitzer, tradition. Just one second. Joseph Pulitzer was Jewish. Yes, okay. but was he uh, a weird stereotype? I don't know. I don't know anything about Joseph Pulitzer other than. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's, Sorry, that's what I'm talking about. With, okay, whatever. That's what I'm talking about with the performance. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we're going to pick three scenes each. Uh, so this is going to be like a longer episode, I guess. And I'm going to break tradition and I'm going to go first this time. Uh -huh. I don't normally go first with the scene selections, but my first scene is the opening of the movie. Of course, there's a little bit of narration at the beginning uh, that sets up kind of the, the plot of the movie. Then you go into you go into the Newsboys Boarding House, which is run by this very kindly old mumbling man. <laughs> he's like, you you got to get up, you got to get up. You know, <laughs> he's he's coming in and he's kind of smacking him in the head, trying to get him to wake up. And in any other movie, he would probably be a villainous character as well. But no, he's just like a nice old man. <laughs> okay, what, Eric? Uh, no, I want you to keep going, but when we get, ever get to that scene, I have some interesting, like, little uh, factoids about the, the boarding houses then. Okay, well, I, I'm just getting through the scene to get to the part I really want to get to, because it goes into this musical number called Ain't It a Fine Life. I, I think that's the title of the song. I don't know. Uh, that's what they sing all the time in the song. And it's just oh, all about their... The oh, carrying the banner. Yeah, okay. But... It always starts with, Ain't I know, it a fun life? Life. yeah, yeah, but carrying the banner. And it's just all about their day. It's just all about their job. It's what they do all the time. Try Bottle Alley or the Harbor, try Central Park, all that stuff. I could, I could sit here and quote all the lyrics, but I won't do it. And they get out of the boarding house and they're singing and dancing down the street. And you get the idea that, you know, these boys, even though they're poor and living in this nasty boarding house they kind of enjoy their job because uh they get to go out on the street and sort of yell out and make up headlines and <laughs> all of that stuff and um then they come across this this sort of cart where these nuns are standing and the nuns are giving them breakfast like just bread and coffee i think and the nuns start singing you know Blessed children. And it's very different from the rest of the music that you've heard up till that point. But then what I really want to zero in on is this woman that starts walking in among all the newsies. And she's a woman you never see again in the movie. And she only has four lines that she sings, but she kind of steals the movie for me. She comes in and she starts singing, Patrick darling and you get this whole story in four lines where her son has run away from her and she thinks maybe he's one of these newsies and she's just desperately looking for him and it ends on you know mother loves you god save my son 
And for one thing, this woman, she has the best voice of any singer in the movie. Mm -hmm. And her performance is incredible with four lines of singing. And the movie, like I said, there's some narration at the beginning that sets up that a lot of these newsies are orphans and runaways. But I don't know. I feel like her character doesn't matter to the story so much as it just gives you some context of the times that they're living through where people didn't have a lot of money, especially living in the big cities. And these boys would run away and get jobs and just live out on their own. Probably girls too. Girls probably had it a lot tougher though. Girls probably didn't have the opportunities that boys had. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean probably definitely didn't, but uh, boys in particular would go out and work and their families wouldn't see them anymore. And this woman conveys so much of that story in such a short period of time. And like I said, you never see her again, but she immediately draws you into the emotional stakes of what, of what the times are and what these boys are living through and what their families are living through. And I just have always, that's one of those scenes that I saw it when I was a kid. And I was like, what is this doing in the movie? And then as you get older, you're like, oh, I know exactly what it's doing in the movie. It's, it's kind of giving the movie a soul right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've always been taken with that scene and that woman's performance is burned into my brain. And yeah, I just, I just really love it. And I wanted to talk about it. So, all right. Who wants to go next, um, Eric? All right. My first scene <laughs> is definitely when Jack goes to uh, David's house for dinner. Okay. Um, there, I think you find the 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 main premise of the film because really, yes, there's the strike and there's the musical and, and, and you know and, and there's like uh, his relationship with like the other newsies. But the, the root of the movie is about family and about Jack's longly, longing to have a family. Um, mm-hmm. And when he goes to that family dinner, you really see one at the, when, at the beginning of the, the scene, Jack's kind of going in there. And when he's going through the door, he's very uncomfortable. He knows mm-hmm. he does, that's the first time where you don't, if you actually watch uh, Christian Bale's performance, he's very hesitant to walk through the door and he doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do once he gets through the door. He's kind of like looking around and like, he's really hesitant on like meeting everybody because really probably he, he's probably never had that experience going in there and being with a family. All right. Mm-hmm. He's a street kid. He was in that like little juvenile detention place. You know, he was an orphan. His dad's in jail. And in this point, the same Jack doesn't really know how to act around him. And you really see the disconnect between normal people, like average, average Joe families, because that's really are really. I mean, if you really want to break it down, they're like, you know, kind of middle blue collar people. And it's a family unit. And he, he's very uncomfortable there. And even when he's he's talking in dinner. Uh, there's a scene where the daughter asks Jack, what's a good headline? And he starts just spouting on off court <laughs> and he's like nude, naked. And then he's like, oh, I think I've said too much, you know? And, 
And he's just looking around. I was like, I think I've just messed up. And then the yeah. dad looks at him and he's like, I get it. Okay. And go get yeah. the chocolate cake. Cause I want to hear more out of this kid. He's not going to kick him out. And then, you know, to go back. And like I said, it's, is Jack. That's kind of what he longs for. And this is going to go into one of mom's scene here in a second, but we uh-huh. won't get into that. But later on, uh, Snyder, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking played up. by Kevin Ty, uh, uh, aka yeah. John Locke's dad from so, Lost. Yeah, so <laughs> Snyder goes to, ball. <laughs> later on in the film. Snyder, uh, this is this is uh, another one of my scenes. Um, it's very quick. Snyder goes to the boarding house to go look for Jack, um, and Jack runs away from the boarding house and. He ends up going actually back to David's family's house and sleeping out on the catwalk. And like the funny thing about it is, is that he's only known David for like four days, like three days, like no time. And yet that's where he feels safe mm-hmm. is, is at David's house. I think that's amazing because that's the one that's the one thing that he's longing for. He doesn't go and hang out with other newsies. He doesn't he doesn't mm-hmm. go to where he knows. He goes to where he feels safe and secure. And that's and that's in the family. Um, yeah. And then and then my third scene. Oh, no. Wait. Well, we don't do these all at one time. We my turns. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm stopping. So now you get to think up a third scene to do on your second time around. Because now it's mom's turn. My and then it's my turn again. And then oh. your turn and so on and so forth. We, right. we forgot to tell him that. Yeah. Uh, well, well okay. he can come up with it's okay. I got it. Movie a million it's okay. Times. It won't be it. hard. They're not. all okay. our favorites. I already know my other one. All right. So okay. in going back to the dinner thing, okay. It's time for Jack to go home. He's talked to um, to David outside, and now it's time for him to go. David invites him to stay, but mm-hmm. the the guard goes up. Okay, he says, "I've got my yeah. place." So he starts down those stairs, and he starts into a song. So this is what it's like to be a, what a family. What is this is what they call a family. This is what they Mother, call a daughter, family. Father, and that's the yeah. beginning of the song Santa Fe. And that's my first favorite scene. Because Jack's all tough on the outside. And like Eric said, but once he meets this family, he realizes what he's missing. But the mm-hmm. guard, the guard has to go up. And he's already told yeah. him that his family has gone, that he's lied to him and told him his family's gone to Santa Fe to find a ranch and they're gonna send for him when mm-hmm. they, when they get settled. Yeah. On his way back to the boarding house, he breaks into this song called Santa Fe and it's a solo and um, he's proclaiming his desire to be in Santa Fe. But Eric pointed out that every reference to Santa Fe is his desire to belong, Mm -hmm. to be in a family, to belong. But what I love about this scene is the music is just so beautiful Christian yeah. Bale does an excellent job of singing. It's it's not polished, but he's a kid. It's not supposed to be polished. And <laughs> the choreography is just charming, especially in the middle of the song where he gets in the middle of the street and does a little dance. He does like a cowboy dance. He does yeah. a cowboy dance. I have Let me finish. <laughs> 
So, but at the very end of the song, he is trying to convince himself that he doesn't need anything but Santa Fe. Yeah. That's how the song begins and that's how the song ends. Mm-hmm. And that's all I want to say about that scene, but I just love it. And um, when our viewers or listeners watch the movie, because I know they're going to want to watch it after hearing this, they're going <laughs> to love this scene too. I will have to say the funniest scene in the entire film is during that song. Yeah. Where he jumps on the back of that guy's horse. He's like, wait, that's my horse. <laughs> and he just drives away. Drives away. And then when he gets done with the horse, he just lets the horse go. We don't know if the horse goes back. Well, the you guy presume the horse goes back to his owner, that he's gone in a circle, you know. <laughs> that's what I hope. Yeah, okay. this so this is the only solo song in the whole movie. Pretty much every, well, except for uh, one of Meta's songs that she does like previous to this, like Lovey on her vaudeville show. Yeah, Lovey Dovey song. But like everything else is an ensemble. This is the only like character individual song. And this is sort of coming back to what we were talking about with Frozen last time. This is the I want song. Yes. Of, of the movie, except like with Let It Go, what the character wants in this song isn't really what they say they want. You could really just replace Santa Fe and replace that word with family. I mean, yeah. really, if you really want to get it, it wouldn't be as good of a song. No, it would be a terrible song <laughs> and it wouldn't work. And I would know. <laughs> but subliminally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your turn again. All right. So I am going to go with another song because I, I really love pretty much all the songs in this movie. And I was tempted to go with Seize the Day, but I don't feel like there's as much to talk about with that one. So I'm going to go with King of New York. So after the Newsies have started their strike and they've made a couple of demonstrations, Brian Denton has started to write about them for the New York Sun, which is sadly no longer a reputable paper. Uh, And they've gotten their picture put in the paper too. And they're all sitting in this cafe and they're all sitting there thinking like, okay, you got your picture in the papers. You're famous. When you're famous, you get anything you want. That's what's so great about New York, you know? And they start singing about like all the stuff that they're going to get because they're now the king of New York, you know? And it's everything from a pair of new shoes with matching laces to a Saturday night with the mayor's daughter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, you know? One kid just wants, like, Havana cigars, and another kid wants, uh, you know, a mezzanine pass to see the flickers and everything. And, of course, they're all singing and dancing around uh, Brian Denton, who's the one who's started to make them famous for, for their cause and what they're trying to accomplish. He gets involved in the song at one point, you know? He's like, when I'm at bat, strong men crumble. But it's also really fun, a fun scene because most of the other like dances in the movie take place like out in the streets. So there's these big open spaces. This is in like a little cafe. There's not much space. And yet the dancing is just as impressive, if not more so. There's that one shot where they're all like jumping up and putting their feet on opposite tables. 
-hmm. and they're doing it like it's like the rock it's like watching the rockettes it's so perfectly in sync and so that's a fun aspect of the scene but i don't know i just i just love the idea that these these poor newsboys who are going on strike and therefore not making money at this point they're just happy that they've had their picture in the papers which is the thing they're striking against it's kind of a beautiful irony in that sense because yeah the thing that they're fighting against is also the thing that's pumping them up and giving them confidence and hope and also it's just this very braggadocious song <laughs> they just think that they're going to get everything because they had one picture in the paper of them as a group it's just a fun song great song so should we skip him since he did two. No, he did he did two that were connected. So okay. he's gonna do his next one. All right. And then we're gonna do you, and then we're gonna do me, and then we're gonna do him again. All right, very good. Okay, second scene is where Jack is running from Snyder with David and his little brother, and they go to Metis. Uh Metis. Um okay, so we're jumping back a little bit. Yeah, gotcha. we're jumping back a little bit, but but I'll tell you that uh this is the first time in the film that you actually see somebody not a newsie, somebody that owns her own place, um, actually like loves Jack. Okay. Yeah, and true. Jack has a very unique relationship with Meta. Um mm -hmm. you, and you never know like what's going on, like like why they why they're so close. But you just know that it's not over one, it's over years and years and years of her having a relationship with Jack. And I'll be honest with you, that's like the closest thing to a family members that he really has. I mean, yeah, he has the yeah. movies, but then he has Meadow, which is totally different. It's a totally mm -hmm. different relationship with him. And also, it's somewhere that he feels completely safe that's not at David's house because he hasn't been there yet. Um mm -hmm. So I think I think that that scene uh, for me, yeah, a lot of my scenes are very short, but like they're kind of pin pinnacle moments and where you see another aspect of, of Jack. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that scene. And also hilarious. I'm going to go now. Then now you're back at dinner and then, you know, you have David's little brother in the bed and he starts singing the song that she <laughs> and, come back, my lovey, lovey baby. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and then David, like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love I love those two, I, I, I love I love those two scenes yeah. very much. Um, but that's all I gotta say about scene it. Scene number two for me. Okay. Jack has run away from Snyder again, and he makes his way to the stairs. And Eric already alluded to this because it's where he feels safe to go, where mm -hmm. he longs to go. He goes to the stairs outside, and he's actually outside the, the room of their daughter, Sarah. And he mm -hmm. sleeps with his head on his arm, and he's just sitting up, you know. And yeah. she wakes up in the morning and um, she sees him out there and she goes to the window and she says, come up to go up to the roof and I'll, I'll come up there. So she brings breakfast up to him. And uh, as they're talking and smiling, they're kind of flirting. His heart starts getting soft. He's first, he's talking about going to Santa Fe and then mm -hmm. he says, 
would it matter to you if I left? He's searching for belonging. And mm -hmm. that's what Jack is, is searching for, is belonging. And mm -hmm. ever, do y'all ever remember talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in psychology? I remember a little bit about it, but. Well, the number one need yeah. of people is physical safety. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then physical, a uh, physical well-being and then safety. And, but that third one, and I always thought this was very valid, is the feeling of love and belonging. And that's mm -hmm. what you see. You see his tough facade start to crumble there. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember back, back to the dinner, um, Jack, I mean, uh, David introduces Jack to his family at the very beginning as his friend. Yeah. And you just don't know if he's ever been referred to as a friend before by mm -hmm. somebody that's his own age. But this is where more of that tough outer core is crumbling. Well, and actually in that, David goes, this is my friend and business partner. Because yeah. he doesn't want to step, he doesn't want to step over his bounds with Jack because he doesn't want to lose him as like his mentor at this point. Yeah. Too. Okay. He, he's very, he's very cautious about not wanting to step on Jack's toes. Hmm. The back to the the roof breakfast scene. I thought it was interesting that there was a lot of white hanging up. Did y'all notice that? Okay. It's wispy yeah. and white. Yeah. Um, an indication that it was a pure time. It wasn't. It wasn't anything out of line, and it was just soft and kind. Very mm -hmm. unlike down on the streets. Well, That's one of the reasons it was one of my favorite scenes. Actually, I think it's because of her. If you will, if yeah, you watch of course the film, it is. even the, at the end where he, she is getting kind of uh, get, about to get beat up by the the Delansky brothers, um, it's still pretty clean until they shove her down into blood. Does that make does that make sense? Everything is very yeah. Clean. No, I, that's she's always wearing like a white blouse yes. or a white you know nightgown or something. She's she sort oh. of represents that in the and, movie. And and really, the only time you see that is when the Delancey brothers takes that away from her. Yeah, you know what I mean. Okay, so my third scene and final one, I'm going to go with Crutchy at the Refuge. I love so. That. Crutchy at this point during a demonstration where they bring out like all these cops and people with clubs and everything, every, all the other newsies escape, but because Crutchy can't run fast, he gets captured by Warden Snyder and taken off to the refuge. So David and who's the, who's the other one that comes with him? I can't remember. Oh. Might be the kid with the eye patch. I can't remember. <laughs> it's one of the other ones. Anyway. Two other guys, they lower Jack down on a rope and he starts talking with Crutchy in the in the prison cell. And it's just Crutchy at his crutchiest. He's he's still just so him. He's so hopeful and joyful, even though his circumstances are now even worse than they've been the whole movie. But you know that he's also made friends with all the other kids in the refuge because they help him to the window and he starts talking to like you know they still talk about how jack got out on that coach which is a whole <laughs> other little 
subplot of the movie about how Jack escaped from the refuge because Teddy Roosevelt, who at this point in the movie is the governor of New York, well, and at that point in history, uh, saw his plight and gave him a ride out on his coach. And that's how Jack escaped. And of course, everybody just assumes Jack is making up a tall tale. Turns out that is not the case. Because <laughs> David's like, that really happened? He's like, yeah. <laughs> but you also see Crutchy in the refuge, not in that scene. Like he goes to deliver Warden Snyder's dinner to him on a little tray. And he sees Warden Snyder looking at the newspaper and he gives the game away. He's like, oh, that's Jack. Always looks like himself. <laughs> and Warden Snyder's already been looking at this picture. And, and now he knows where to look for, for Francis Sullivan, a.k.a. Jack Kelly, the boy who escaped on the coach with Teddy Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. But that's not really why I want to talk about it. I just, it's just the joy of Crutchy. He brings kindness everywhere he goes. He's even trying to be kind to Warden Snyder, who is not deserving of it. He's, he's not even like being begrudgingly kind to the warden. He comes in and he's like, hi, warden, how's your dinner? That sort of stuff. <laughs> but but crutching the I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. The movie wouldn't be the same without Crutchy, though. No, it wouldn't. He's, it wouldn't be as he's good. Su such a perfect little character, yeah. So that's really all I wanted to say about it. So, Eric, you got one more? Yeah, yeah. You know, Jack and David goes to Brooklyn, all right? Uh, Brooklyn! So, yeah. When they're first talking about uh, having a strike, they're they're going to the different province, provinces of New York. Burroughs. Thank you. They're going to the different boroughs in New York, and everybody gets and, and then they get to, then they get to Brooklyn, and nobody wants to go to Brooklyn because that spot that spot's territory. And um, Jack's like, "All right, fine, I'll go, and I'm going to take David with me." So they go over there to Brooklyn, and that's the first time you actually see Jack not being confident. Okay, like yeah. <laughs> like that's where you like. Even when during the family dinner, when he's uncomfortable and he's very vulnerable, he's still having a persona of confidence that he's going to, sure. that he is perfectly fine in any situation he's put in until he goes to Brooklyn. And uh -huh. then you see him like walk in there really slow. He's not making eye contact with anyone. Yeah. Then Spot comes down. And he has like a cane, and you think, "Wow, nobody else has this like golden." He like, draws his cane like a sword. It's fantastic. <laughs> and and Spot, you know, uh, he, you know, that Spot's like a pit bull. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is like Jack thinks he needs Spot to do this, and he kind of does. But Spot looked for Jack for leadership. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to follow a loser. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And yeah, I think, no. and that, and 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 that's and that's the part of like everybody's like looking to what Spot's going to do, but Spot is looking to what Jack's going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. And I think that's really cool. Um, and also, David, he's way over his head. He starts talking to Spot and start gibbering off a lot of just bullcrap that. You know, just trying to get Spot in on the strike, and David mm -hmm. 
nervous, but he doesn't really even know why he's nervous. He it, just gotta. Yeah. He just gotta. <laughs> and everybody knows that you're the most well-known newsie in all of New York. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The I, idea that there could be a famous newsie. Yeah. 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 And, and I just love that saying just because like just 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 Spot's relationship with Jack and David uh-huh. just trying to just go like just blubber through this meeting with yeah this this but david sells it pretty well he does he, he does because he's smart and he's yes. he's very well spoken even yes. for a kid with very little education yeah but no that's that's my that's my third favorite scene and I, my probably, question about that scene is how early do the brooklyn newsies get up in the morning because they're in the middle of the day and they're just swimming in the in the harbor like diving off the docks they're not doing any work so apparently they've already sold all their newspapers they probably didn't have as many and and the music when they go over to brooklyn the music totally changes and very irish and and that is it that's all you see it through the entire thing yeah when they go to brooklyn (laughs) and i remember when i was a kid and especially when Spock pulls out the slingshot and just oh yeah it was so hardcore when I was a kid it's like <laughs> man this guy's crazy there's a slingshot and a cane but that's my favorite thing all right mom you got one more yes I do Jack's okay. last confrontation with uh Joe's Joe with Joe Pulitzer yeah so they have they have gotten together and gone down to the basement. We didn't really talk about how Pulitzer has bribed Jack into working for him. Mm-hmm. And so, are you? Jack got arrested at the at a big rally. Yeah. Yes, Jack got arrested, and Pulitzer has bribed him. And Jack Jack is not bribable until he threatens his friend. Mm-hmm. He threatens to arrest David and he wouldn't want to see what the refuge would do to David. Yeah. And that's why Jack finally agrees to go to work for Pulitzer. However, while he's out working in his suit for Pulitzer, the Delance, I guess it's the Le- Delancey boys, isn't it? It's the Delancey brothers. Yeah. yeah. They attack Oscar and Morris. They attack Sarah and David and Les is there too. The Jacobs kids in an alley and Jack hears it. And so they, he goes back over to the other side. He's just going to go all out, go with the strike. And they go back over to Brian Denton and decide to print a flyer to engage all the working kids of New York into meeting the demands of the kids of New York so that they're not treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. Well, it works. All these people show up. It's a huge scene in the street. And, um, he ends up up in Pulitzer's office with David and he sit, goes up to Pulitzer and throws the flyer down. He says, extra, extra, Joe, read all about it. And Pulitzer is just livid and he starts threatening him. And he says, anyone who doesn't act in his own self-interest is a fool. And David pipes in, well, what does that make you? You've been losing all this money since the paper is not being printed. And, um, he reminds him that he's losing money and then Pulitzer or who says it's not about, Oh, Jack says it's not about money. It's about power. 
Mm-hmm. Okay? So he drags Pulitzer outside and shows him all the people in the street, shows him where the power is. And Pulitzer is just, he has just gone crazy. He can't stand the noise. He can't stand the people. He wants to be in charge. And Mm -hmm. then comes my favorite line in the whole movie. He says, he says, I put a stop on printing anything about the strike. How did they get this flyer? And that's when um, he find, Jack finds he finds out that they used his printing press. Yeah, he says, but this is what he says: we, we only use the best. Who printed this? We only use the best. And thanks a lot, Joe. And then he realizes it was his equipment. I don't think I did that very good. You did fine. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> I love that line. We only use the best. I was, if you weren't going to say it, I was. And thanks. <laughs> thanks again, Joe. And then Pulitzer has to back down and take away the tenth of a cent for raise on the papers. Yeah. They win the strike. Yeah. So we usually like to talk about the ending of the movie sort of as a separate thing, but you've pretty much gone into it at this point. The only thing really left is that, of course, Teddy Roosevelt shows back up. And part of the flyer is also a little article about how uh, the refuge is run. And so Teddy Roosevelt shows up with the cops and they put Warden Snyder in adult jail. (laughs) Yeah. Because not only has he been mistreating the boys that come to the refuge, but he's been skimming off the top. And then of course there's a big like moment where Jack, he rides off in the carriage with Teddy Roosevelt, but then he circles the block and he comes back around and gets off the carriage. He kisses Sarah in the middle of the street and everybody cheers and it's a happy ending for everyone except for Snyder and probably not Pulitzer. He Pulitzer's probably not very happy, but at least he's still rich. But I think that probably leads us into uh, the next segment, which is called Lessons Learned, wherein we talk about what this movie makes us think about and feel. And we've sort of been getting at this the whole movie, but I'll give you all the floor one more time. Uh, Eric, I'll start with you. Uh, sort of what, what are the themes of this movie as far as you're concerned? You know, yeah, you can go into the obvious uh, themes, which is greed and, you know, screwing over your employees, things like that. But it's really, it's really just, it's really about family, really. If you really want to break down everything, everybody in the film is trying to find where they belong. Mm-hmm. Whether it is either racetrack or, or crutchy or any of the characters, really. And it's, it's all, you know, uh, it's really just, you know, just a, about sticking with, you, you know, your tribe, you know, finding mm-hmm. who you belong with and sticking with that and being loyal to that, really. Um, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to just, you know, break it down. And, and and Jack, you know, you know, we talked about it earlier, you know, uh, Santa Fe it, it's just a big thing about how he longs for a family. And he finally finds that with with his newsies and especially with with David and his family. 
Um, mm-hmm. Any 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 sticks with that? Because you know, at the point where uh, he finally starts working with Pulitzer, you know, he he thinks that Santa Fe is what he's actually longing for. But then and then 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 he figures out that it's not. It, it's it's to find that family unit, and mm-hmm. really just need that. Yeah. Right. Mom, anything to well, add? I just want to add, a, talk about child labor because, mm. you know, that's what the movies, that's what pushes the story is child labor. But back, I looked it up in 1870, one out of eight children was in the working force. By yeah. 1900, it was 20% of children were in the working wow. force. They were working t- 12 hours a day. Mm. Okay. And yeah. um, there was lots of injuries. They were getting TB. Yeah. They had terrible conditions. And, and then there were reformers that, and by the time I was telling Eric and Carrie this earlier, by the time I became a teenager, I had to, couldn't work until I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Then, then that's back in this, in the late sixties, you know, I was yeah. able to get a work permit, but I had to get a work permit. But these kids were taken out of their homes and just really, they were like slave labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. I, I, I do have something to add to that. Um, I, I did look up some stuff. The Newsies uh, on a good day would, would earn, that would earn 39 cents a day on a great day. Well, I mean, back then that was nothing but, to sneeze at. <laughs> but but that, and then they would have to go and buy the room. They, they would have to go and find food. And then they would have to go and buy their papers for the next day. Exactly. Which is what the whole strike is about because they jack up the price of the papers that they're having to buy. Yeah. It's not a lot of money, you know. That's that is the backdrop because I do agree with Eric that the main point of this movie is about family and the very last thing that Jack says to Teddy Roosevelt, besides, I have family here. Yeah. That's why he's not, he rides around the block because the, uh, Brian Denton, AKA Bill Pullman said Teddy Roosevelt would give him a ride to the train station if that's where he wanted to go. So he gets yeah. in the carriage, but he just goes around the block because he, then he thanks Teddy Roosevelt for setting him straight and helping him see that he still <laughs> had more to do there. And then he yeah. had, besides, I have family here. So, but um, it's all about all those things. Yeah. It's a great film. I think so. I, I, I want to talk just a little bit more about sort of the plight of workers, because I think that, you know, in this country, we're still not all the way there. Like workers are still pretty horribly exploited by their employers. Uh, The minimum wage has not gone up in many years. It's only starting to go up in little pockets here and there, Uh, even though the cost of living has gone up exponentially over the decades. Workers are still not being afforded the, the benefits that they require but in a lot of cases, even if they have a full-time job, like a permanent full-time job with employers, if you're, if you're considered an hourly worker, you're not, you're not offered benefits. You're not offered a living wage. And, you know, that's today's problems, but I think you can apply it to a, a movie like this that's really concerned with 
the idea that the rich and powerful are so concerned with holding on to their wealth and their power that they have completely lost sight of the people who actually provide that for them. You know, these newsies, they go out every day and sell the newspaper. If they don't do it, nobody's going to get the newspaper. Right. They are the key to everything, to the whole empire that Pulitzer has built around himself. Well, uh, that is a very true thing. But the problem is not business. It's the people. Well, yeah, it's greed. That's what it is. It's, it is. But there's nothing wrong with running a business. You just. But if you get greedy and you don't keep an eye on how you treat the people who work for you, then what are you doing? You're running a bad business. This, I agree. So, I mean, child labor goes into this movie a lot, but I think it actually has a lot to say about just the complete blinders that people who own these large companies have towards the people at the bottom who are still providing worthy service to them and who need to be treated fairly. Uh, unfortunately, that is particularly true in retail and service industry. Okay. Yeah, it is. Because they focus on PTEs, part-time employees versus yeah. full-time employees. But it's, it's, I mean, it's worse in other countries, I'm sure, than it is here. You know, I, anyway. I, I want to ask you a question. All right, uh, Seth, uh, uh, Jackson, uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you got Pulitzer at the end. Uh, Mom already kind of covered it. So you got Pulitzer, and you got David, uh, and you got Jack, and they're in the room. And Jack, uh, David says you, you lost seventy percent of your yeah. earnings. It's not, you know, why? Why do you? Why aren't you looking for your best interest? Do you think Pulitzer is is holding the newsies like that, like not like submitting to their wishes? Um, because one, you think he doesn't want to submit to a bunch of kids and do what they tell him and would do what they tell him, uh, tell him to do. Or do you think Pulitzer doesn't want to look weak in front of the, through in front of the other newspaper guy? Probably. Both. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I don't even think that it matters. The fact that it's kids. I mean, oh, that does make it worse. There's no doubt. It about makes it. it worse. Yes. I mean, I imagine think, what even it, was if it was really like in 1899 when this actually did happen. I can't even imagine. No. But yeah, I think it's both. I think he doesn't want to look weak in front of Hearst and the other newspaper owners. But I also don't think he wants to submit to the demands. We're seeing this right now. And this is going to date this podcast a little bit. It'll come out later. We're seeing this right now in Hollywood with the writer's strike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got all these studio heads. They do not want to listen to the demands of the writers, even though the, the writer's demands, based on what I've read, are completely reasonable. Yeah. I don't doubt it. I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yes. So, uh -huh. yeah. But what's bad is it shouldn't have to happen. No, it shouldn't have to happen, but it, it's always going to have to happen because you're always going to have greedy people who have managed to amass wealth and power for themselves. All of this so, is covered in, in the Bible. Yeah. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a little bit of a depressing place to end this conversation on, but I think we need to go into our final segment 
which is the flip scale. What's that? <laughs> what? Oh, I told you about this. Yeah, I did tell him. He just I'm sorry. I'm it one to ten. Oh, I can okay. So we do it. We do it on a two prong scale. So we rate it one to ten on two scales: fun, which is entertainment value, and how much you just enjoy the movie, and feelings, which is more about thematic depth and how much it resonates with you. So, okay, so I'm going to go to you. Ten out of tens, right? So, well, no, oh. No, you don't do it all at once. We take turns, and then mom does the math. No, I averages I'm out all the. I'm not. He's I'm just asking. Is no, I'm not giving you my answer. Okay. No, I'm saying. All right, so you're going okay, to do ten okay, out of ten okay. in the feelings, and then you're going to do another ten out of ten on. We're, on well, we do fun first, but yes, fun. we do we do okay. tens on each scale. Okay. Yes. So I will ask you, what is your rating one to 10 on the fun scale, Eric? Okay. So I'm going to give it a definitely a nine out of 10 on fun scale. I think, I think there's certain, I would give it a 10 out of 10, but it's two hours long. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, if it knocked off 15 minutes, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mom. I gave it an eight. Okay. Um, Do you want to elaborate or just well? Just kind of stick uh, it you out. know, it's not. I love the music and the choreography. I just yeah. love it. But um, it's not a movie I'll probably watch again and again and again and again. You know, sure. I haven't watched it as much as I watched Frozen, which I gave really, really high scores to. <laughs> I've watched so, it three times this week. Yeah, well, whatever. I watched it more than that. <laughs> eight okay i'm also gonna give it an eight on fun okay for pretty much the same reason eric did i feel like the second half of the movie drags a little bit here if they cut out like a couple small scenes perfect film sure Uh, but but yeah okay okay so so eric on the feeling scale what do you want to give it you know, I'm going to give it another nine out of 10. Whoa, that's high. Um, because whenever I watch it, it just gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling on my inside of my body. And <laughs> I love the characters in it. Uh, like all the characters. I think it, it, it has one of the best casts um, that's been in a Disney musical, maybe ever. And it has deeper meanings once you want to like watch it a couple of times. Yeah, there's sure. always something else to catch. Even like, even at the beginning of uh, carrying in the banner, Jack is actually tussling with the Lansky brothers, and there's choreography going on, and Jack's kind of yeah. walking through. But if you watch the back of them, the Delansky brothers are getting spun around through the newsies <laughs> and like and everything, and like they're trying to get Jack, but the newsies are just dancing around. Yeah. And you uh-huh. see that the newsies are deeply uh, devoted to Jack. And it, it just, yeah. things like that throughout the film, it just gives yeah. you, like, just wonderful things. The whole movie gives you wonderful things. Okay, Mom? Uh, uh, I'm just giving it a six. <gasps> okay. <laughs> that is terrible. No, I mean, it's not, um, it's a great movie. I enjoy it, but... The most I enjoy is the choreography and the music. I love the story too, but I, I guess maybe I'm a little more practical. <laughs> okay. 
Well, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to give it a seven. I guess it's not exactly splitting the difference. But I'm going to give it a seven. I feel like I bring a lot to this movie based on my feelings about the working class. Um, But it's not like, it's not a deep movie. I really, really enjoy it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a deep movie. I'll tell you this. I still think there's stuff in it to really latch on to. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I'm telling you, though, there's so much stuff in the background. There's so okay. much stuff in the background. I believe you. You got you to gotta look at the background. I'm going to. It's like Squid Games. What do you watch? You don't watch the main characters of Squid Games. You watch the background. <laughs> well, I've only watched Squid Game once, and I'm never probably I've seen like three or four times. <laughs> don't worry. Squid Games right. is coming out. Okay, what what's the average? Eight. Okay, see, that's a perfectly good score, Eric. Very good score. <laughs> All right, so finally, um, what ages would you recommend this movie for? Not six. All ages. <laughs> no Younger, the way. better. No. Get your infants in there. Sing it, <laughs> dancing. I'd say... I'm gonna say chocolate cigars for all. Eleven. Those like little sugar cigarettes. <laughs> Just give them a pack. <laughs> Let them watch newsies. Have a good day. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> it's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> you know, big league. <laughs> Don't, don't Eric, be a totally, totally derailed the podcast at the end. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I think Eric. 12, 12. Okay. <laughs> 11 or 12. As usual, I don't have kids, so I have no opinion on this. I just like to ask the guests and mom. Anyway, all right. Thanks, Eric, for being on and for completely making me have a seizure at the end of the show. Thanks um, for having me on. I appreciate it. Was it was delightful. It was delightful. I loved it. Anyway, next time we are going to stick with, uh, I believe, also the year 1992, because we are going to be talking about the film Sister Act. So get ready for get ready for some Motown and some nuns and the wonderful Dolores Van Cartier. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It'll be fun. And so uh, you can find this podcast wherever you found it. Uh, Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. uh, Hopefully a good one that helps little podcasts like ours get heard. And uh, until next time. Open the gates and seize the day. Good night, y'all. Good night. Family, with